0: Hello and welcome to this edition of The Heart Podcast. My name is James Rudd. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. John Mandrola from Louisville, Kentucky. John is the Chief Cardiology Correspondent for Medscape, and John's going to give us a ACC preview of the upcoming meeting in Orlando and tell us what we can expect to hear at that meeting. I hope you enjoy the podcast. John, uh, could you introduce yourself for The Heart audience? Sure.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm a cardiac electrophysiologist in private practice in Louisville, Kentucky. And I also am the chief cardiology correspondent for the heart.org Medscape and write a weekly column for them and also do a, a, a weekly podcast.
0: And what's the name of the podcast, John?
1: It's called This Week in Cardiology.
0: Okay. And I know you're a conference veteran. I've seen you at the on the conference circuit for many years. And I thought it'd be great to get your perspective on the upcoming 2018 ACC meeting in Orlando. I know you've had a look at the program in advance and are preparing a post on Medscape uh, all about it. But what's really caught your eye in the program at this stage?
1: Sure. The most obvious thing that we have to pay attention to is the Odyssey uh, outcomes trial. Now, this is a randomized controlled trial, the PCSK9 inhibitor, Olorokumab, and it's gonna be a placebo-controlled trial. Um, we know, James, from the Fourier trial that the PCSK9 inhibitor evolocumab reduced non-fatal cardiac events but did not change the overall death rates. Um, the drugs reduce uh, LDL substantially, and um, they, Fourier was a positive trial, but yet, in the United States at least, they haven't really uh, captured the market. You know, that could be because of their high cost or, or barriers set up by third party payers. Or perhaps, you know, it's just that clinicians remain unconvinced by these modest outcomes, the lack of mortality benefit. So this is why I think the, the Odyssey outcomes trial is so important. I mean, if the Alaricumab shows a similar reduction in just non-fatal events, then I, I don't really think the drug's gonna make it. Um, Or at least it'll have to be priced a lot lower. But on the other hand, if uh, the ODYSSEY trial comes out more positive, then this could be sort of the breakthrough moment for the PCSK9 inhibitors. I guess there's some important differences between ODYSSEY, which we'll hear about at ACC, and Fourier, and that is that um, ODYSSEY is a longer trial. And Fourier was uh, sort of truncated at two years, but we know that LDL, uh, LDL cholesterol lowering uh, really takes many years to provide benefit and also the, the other difference is that Odyssey is going to um, this sort of trial protocol suggests or, or calls for taking LDL levels down below 50 so the average LDL lower uh, L, the average LDL level may be lower in Odyssey and, and those two factors sort of argue that maybe there will be more positive outcomes but on the other hand the Odyssey investigators really uh, set up a higher bar in that they took out one of the softer endpoints from the composite, and that is the um, uh, soft endpoint of uh, coronary vascularization.
0: Okay, so this is a, a more robust trial from that point of view, would you say, and the endpoints we can really believe in?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's still a composite endpoint, and I think the components of it matter. I mean, the the, the big one would be you know whether this reduces cardiovascular death or overall death because ultimately this is this is what we're trying to do with these drugs
0: right right so uh lower ldl you think possibly uh, a longer exposure to the drug and more robust endpoints yeah it, right. does, it does sound like it's going to be uh make or break for these this class of medication for sure okay what about something closer to your uh, particular clinical interest john in the ep world or arrhythmia yeah. world
1: yeah so the next the next trial as a late breaker um, is going to be this VEST trial. And the, you know, the VEST trial is of the wearable cardiac defibrillator, and it it's going to test the hypothesis that wearable defibrillators can reduce mortality by reducing sudden death in the immediate post-MI period. I mean, the VEST investigators are going to use sudden death mortality and as the primary endpoint and overall mortality as the secondary endpoint, but really ultimately a cardiac defibrillator is is really to keep people alive. And so I wonder about that. I, I kind of wish it was a primary overall death was a primary outcome. Nonetheless, this is an important trial because at least in the. US, the uh, wearable cardiac defibrillator, the life vest, is used a lot. and really the evidence supporting its use come from industry sponsored registries, observational data, and anecdotes. And um, I think that it's difficult to show mortality benefits in the early post-MI period. There have been two previous trials looking at internal defibrillators, which are arguably much more effective than a wearable defibrillator, and they didn't uh, uh, result in an overall mortality benefit.
0: Okay. And in the VEST study, what kind of patients are we looking at? Presumably, it's not everybody post-MI.
1: Right. This is going to be uh, post-MI with, um, with high risk features. So I, I can't exactly quote the exact inclusion criteria, but I, am pretty sure you had to have significant LV dysfunction and be high risk to get enrolled in the trial.
0: Okay. And then another study that you've highlighted, uh, to do with mobile health screening. Uh, this is the yeah. M-STOP study.
1: Yeah. So the, the, the mobile health screening is, is really a hot topic, and I think, James, we're sitting in a, a period of great flux, so-called dynamic period right now with this, and the m stops study comes from uh, Scripps, and uh, of course Eric Topol's there, and they're gonna look at sort of a smart screening uh, program, and I say smart screening because they're only gonna screen for atrial fibrillation and people who might benefit from the intervention. And I think with screening, uh, for AFib, it's really going to be about uh, trying to select a population to screen because I'm not sure how beneficial it's going to be to screen the population, uh, including low risk people. So they're going to, you know, they're going to use uh, claims data to find these high risk people, and then they're going to give them these wearable um, uh, bandaid-like monitors that we, the brand name is Zio. Um, and they monitor the rhythm for 14 days, and they're they're quite useful clinically. So we'll see, you know, how much how much AFib we pick up, and also one of their endpoints is going to be uh, uh, time time to first embolic event. So they're going to look at an outcome. That's interesting, and you know we can't really stop the screening train. I think it's coming. And uh, other I looked at this program, and there's some other screening program, uh, screening uh, abstracts. And so the uh, ACC is going to have a lot of information on this in terms of picking up AFib uh, from personal devices, watches, and uh, smartphones.
0: Yeah, it really is a fascinating and, as you say, rapidly developing area. And yeah. how, about, how about personalized medicine? You mentioned a couple of trials which uh, are getting back to that old chestnut of uh, platelets and clopidogrel and genetic variation. Can you talk a little bit about those two, the ADAPT and the clo trial?
1: Yeah, so this is, um, this sort of sent me back to the literature, the historical literature, and uh, looking at the fact that clopidogrel is a, a, a pro-drug and it requires conversions by these hepatic enzymes which are uh, genetically, uh, have a lot of genetic variability. And so um, uh, back in the day, the idea was that we could um, we could screen for platelet um, platelet aggregation or platelet activity, and um, in fact, the FDA put a boxed warning on on clopidogrel because it might have reduced effectiveness in patients who are poor metabolizers, and the idea was that we could use platelet um, uh, platelet function and and tailor therapy, but it, it turns out that. You know, three trials back uh, many years ago showed that it really didn't affect outcomes. But now we have these genotype tests, which are really looking, instead of the phenotype, platelet agrability, um, uh, platelet function, we're looking at, at genotypes, and perhaps a genotype would be a better predictor. And there there was a small study looking at this, and... and uh, had a somewhat positive result so these two trials are going to look at genotype testing to determine whether we can uh, better tailor antiplatelet therapy in patients undergoing pci i don't know uh, we'll have to see i'm kind of um i'm kind of uh not optimistic about uh the chances that this will work
0: in either of the studies
1: yeah because here's the thing that i i mean i'm not really an expert in this area but you know, if if the, looking at the phenotype, platelet function, didn't work, um, how is looking at the genotype going to be at, be any better, given that the uh, genotype really is only part of the, uh, the phenotype? There's many things that determine platelet agrability or platelet function, and genotype is only one of them. So mm. it seems like I'm just, I don't know. We'll have to go and, and look at these studies and see, but um, I, and I'm not sure how it's going to work out.
0: And then uh, another uh, EP study we're talking about now. Hiss bundle pacing. Uh, this oh, is uh, this is taking off in Cambridge and all across the UK. I have my pacing colleagues are really getting into this. Um,
1: oh yes, James, your listeners have to know that I'm utterly biased and, and completely uh, uh, <laughs> you know, enraptured by this by this beautiful technique. I've done I've done maybe uh, 90 to 100 cases about a year and a half of Hiss bundle pacing. And I'm just um, so impressed by the beauty of it. And some of my more skeptical colleagues have said this, and of course I, I concur. But the guys from Geisinger Medical Center in Pennsylvania have really been pioneers here in the U.S. And they're gonna they're gonna present their um, a registry study and looking at an association. They even say it in the title: reduced uh, reduced um, uh, mortality with permanent his bundle pacing. Now the this, this his bundle pacing, it makes sense, right? It, it, um, when you pace the right ventricle, you get a trade off. You create a left bundle branch block by pacing the right ventricle. Now, if the patient has no heartbeats, that's a good trade off. Um, it's certainly better than no contraction, but now in 2018, if, if, if pacing people put their mind to it and and spend some time and, and learn this technique, I mean, you can get a His bundle lead in most cases, and that allows for simultaneous contraction of the ventricles and this perfectly, beautifully narrow QRS. And preliminary studies, they're they're not randomized controlled trials. Preliminary studies have shown that it associates with less heart failure, less heart failure hospitalization, better ejection fraction. And so um, I'm very excited about this technique. We definitely need randomized controlled trials. Uh, to study this, because there are potential downsides of His bundle pacing, including higher thresholds, maybe more lead dislodgements. The problem, James, is that um, His bundle pacing is difficult to get. Uh, it's difficult to get funding for these trials because it's a disruptive uh, technology in that it might lead to less CRT use, and it might uh, uh, lead to, and it certainly leads to using less expensive devices. Mm. So. The companies aren't uh, really, it's not really, I guess, in line with their um, profit motives. But nonetheless, it's, it's just a disruptive technology that I think has to be pushed forward and we have to learn more about it.
0: Out of interest, uh, John, as a non-EP person here, do you, do you always put a lead in the RV as well, which is switched off, just in case there's a dislodgement of the HIST lead down the line, or is that something that is now not always required?
1: I do um, I do put a backup I do put a backup um, lead in the RV only when I do the his bundle pacing with an AV node ablation. Okay. So in a patient with atrial fibrillation and a rapid rate who we're going to do palliative therapy with an AV node ablation, what what I'll do is place a Hiss lead and that will go into the atrial port and then a backup RV lead in the, a typical RV position. And then a couple weeks later, bring the patient back for an AV node ablation. And if you if you ablate a little bit below the uh, Hiss lead, you can still get complete AV block. Um, and uh, I've not been super comfortable doing that without a backup RV lead. Now, I have uh, nine patients who I've done this in, and none of them have had problems with the Hiss lead and relied on the backup RV lead. So maybe... Sometime in the future, we'll be able to do it with just one lead. If it's a standard dual chamber pacemaker for, say, a patient with heart block, then no. I just put an atrial lead and an RV lead, and I've not put a backup lead in.
0: Sorry, you mean an atrial lead and a HIST lead? And a HIST lead. Sorry, yeah. Right. Okay. There's a very interesting trial that caught my eye uh, relating to patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, the IND yeah. study.
1: I agree. I agree. You know, we've, we've made huge advances in cardiology in the last decade. I mean, just really impressive, but patients with heart failure that have a preserved ejection fraction, really, it doesn't seem that we've found anything that really works for these patients. And so this Indy trial that you referenced is, um, an intervention looking at an, uh, like an inhaler of, uh, in inorganic nitrate or nitride given three times a day. And, you know, this is from Duke, and uh, Dr. Brunwald is part of the investigators on the list I saw. And, I mean, it would be really cool if an you know, inhaler, kind of like an asthma inhaler, would actually help these patients with their symptoms. So um, it's, it's – it's, it, it's, uh, who knows what will happen, but if, if it was positive, it would certainly represent an advance for these patients who don't have a lot of uh, other options.
0: Absolutely. and let's let's finish with a uh, a study about prevention, which I know is uh, a pet subject of yours. This is talking about uh, African Americans in barbershops what's the What's this study all about?
1: How cool is this? So the background is that you know numerous studies have shown racial disparities and access to care and outcomes and and black patients are especially vulnerable to high blood pressure. I mean this is well described. And there's been a previous study, this, so the so-called Barber One study, which was this cluster randomized trial among 17 black owned barbershops in Texas. Um, so they they found that blood pressure control among black male barbershop patrons, so people went to the barbershop, improved when the barbers were enabled to become health educators and to actually promote promote health. So they're gonna. These investigators are gonna present further studies, uh, uh, and it's gonna be a late-breaking clinical trial session. So you you know it's probably gonna be a good study, and I really love this idea, James, because I mean public health I think is not going to be about building hospitals and about cath labs and these kinds of things. Really, it's going to be about trying to foster health in society itself. And so how how better to do that than to just bring it out into these communities and, and promote health in the community. So I really love this uh, study and I, I hope it's super positive. Uh, I'm excited about it.
0: That's uh, fantastic. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you very much indeed, John, for your time. It sounds like there's an excellent meeting uh, upcoming in, uh, in a couple of weeks. And um, I hope you have a good time there. And we look forward to reading your reviews of these studies as they break on on medscape and uh, also listening i guess to a podcast perhaps afterwards where you'll go through some of these
1: yes we'll have a acc review on this week in cardiology um after the meeting
0: fantastic all right thanks very much indeed john
1: thanks james